to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Two years ago, we had the opportunity to serve at a kids camp in Malden at the Church of God Kids Camp. And so we went up there and um, it was Pastor Scott, it was me, and it was Pastor Gabe. And I think maybe Colin was up there at the time. Thank you, Deidre. You can, you can be seated. Thank you so much. Um, we, we went up there to serve at the kids camp and, uh, and to be a part. It was an excellent opportunity to serve our denomination. And so we were going to stay a few days. Well, if you've ever seen the Church of God campground, you know that there are uh, houses and there are mobile homes there where uh, the retired ministers live. And so as we're going up there, one of the, the people who owned a home up there was so gracious to actually let us stay there. They weren't living in it at the time, so we got to stay in the mobile home. So we walk in, and we get there, and it was like a blast from the past. Like, this home is like, was transported from the 70s, okay? Like, everything was just kind of like, ugh, super red carpets. It was kind of ugly. Maybe it was the 80s. I don't know. I wasn't alive in either of those. Like, it was brutal. And this is the best part. The TV had bunny ears. Like, I had heard about that, but I had never experienced that. Like, who grew up using bunny ears? Okay, wow, I got to do what you did. Like, while we were there, we got like three channels, and it was messing up. We'd have to go up and, you know, do this and have to go change it. It was hilarious. Like, this, this room, this trailer was old, but it was really nice that they were letting us stay there. And so finally, we're settled in, and then it gets to the evening, and, and we're settled in where everybody's going to go to sleep in a little bit, but we're just kind of in our rooms. And then I had to use the bathroom, so I go out of my room, and I go to the, the community bathroom there, or whatever, like the, whatever, me and Gabe were sharing it, whatever. Anyways, so I'm going in there. Sorry if this is TMI. I'm using the bathroom, going to use the bathroom, and as you do, you sit down. And from that moment on, all chaos broke loose. Because as I'm sitting down, my back hits some part of the ancient toilet, and it just breaks. Like, it just, boom. I don't know what happened. I don't know what was going on, but immediately I just hear this noise. I turn around, and there's toilet water going everywhere on the floor. And then imagine me at like 14 going, I don't know what to do. And so I'm just looking around and I'm like freaking out because everything is going crazy. And so I'm just standing around and I'm worried because I think the water is going to ruin everything. So I'm freaking out. So finally I go over to Gabe's room and I'm like, hey, Gabe. Um, So I just broke the toilet somehow and there's water everywhere. And he is the much more calm one in the situation, so he actually goes and cuts the water off like a responsible adult, okay? And he cuts the water off, and it was so embarrassing, and so we had to get all these towels and, and clean it up. We had to call like a repairman to come fix the toilet, and I'm just praying that I haven't ruined these people's house that I don't own that was letting us stay there. And then if you know anything about Pastor Scott, who is my uncle, you know that he did not let me live that down, okay? Like, I was hearing about that all week that I managed to destroy the toilet. But it was like a crazy moment just standing there. You don't know what's going on. You don't know how to fix it. Everything's happening. You're worried about the water. Like, the broken toilet is enough, but water can do some serious damage. It can ruin stuff, ruin electrical things. The carpet gets all moldy and smelly. Like, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, are they going to have to get a new house? Like, it was chaos. It was absolutely crazy, and I had no idea what to do. 
And I know that, that, that story's goofy, I know it's kind of funny, but maybe you've, you've walked in and your life kind of looks like that, but in a much more serious way. Like you've walked into the room today and it seems like your life is just utter chaos. Like you're just looking around and you don't know what's happening, you don't know how you got here, you don't know how life got, got so crazy and you're looking around and you're going, I do not know what to do. You feel lost, you feel overwhelmed, you're struggling. Maybe you've walked in this place and, and, and your chaos is a spiritual problem. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you're just spiritually unsatisfied. And you're filled with, with guilt and you know you're guilty of your sins and there's just something going on. Maybe as a Christian you're, you're unhappy with how you're living your life as a Christian, that the Holy Spirit's been convicting you of some areas in your life. There's some things you're dealing with on the inside. Maybe you're just struggling with living in a fallen and broken world. That you did get the doctor's report you did not want to get. That the relationship ended. That you just prayed and prayed it wouldn't end. That you lost the job you thought you would always have. And the world around you is going crazy. And in the midst of it, you're struggling to trust and have faith in Jesus. Wondering, can I trust him? Is he going to show up? Can I put my faith in him? And at the end of it, you're just, you're just asking why. Why is this happening? Why me? What can I do? Is there hope in the midst of my chaos? And the good news that I've come to tell you today is that there is, and his name is Jesus. So if you would, let's look at the gospel of Mark today. We are looking in chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. So here's what's going on. Jesus has been ministering, and he's been doing a lot of preaching and teaching. And so he's been standing on this boat, and then everyone listening has been on the shore. So he's preaching from the boat, and, and he's preaching for a long time, pouring into these people. And finally, he's just tired. Like, Jesus is just exhausted. Like, he is 100% God, but also 100% man. His voice is tired. He's tired. He needs a nap. So he decides that they are going to go to the other side of the water. He's going to take a break. He's going to get some time to just rest and relax. And so here's what happens beginning in verse 35. It says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. So Jesus is tired. He's teaching and preaching all day. My dude desperately just wants a nap. Like he just wants a break. So he's like, all right, we're going to the other side. I'm going to take a nap. So they start sailing and Jesus goes down to the stern and he gets in a sleeping bag. He gets a little blankie. He turns the little, like, fan noise on his phone on to kind of help him go to sleep. You know what I mean? Like, he's getting comfortable. He's ready to go. And so Jesus starts sleeping. And in the midst of their trip, this crazy windstorm arose. And it was deadly. 
Like the water was already rushing into the boat. So Jesus' disciples come get him and they're like, how are you sleeping at a time like this? Like, what is wrong with you? We're dying and you're snoozing? Like, come on, dude. Like, come freak out with us. And so they, they get him up and then Jesus just gets up and he does something awesome, something spectacular. With power and with authority, he speaks to the winds and the waves and just says, peace, be still. And it was in this moment that Jesus revealed something very particular, very special about himself. Through speaking to the winds and the waves, Jesus reveals that he is God. He is no mere teacher. He's not just a good prophet. He's not like Moses or Elijah. He's more he is God. To speak to, to nature like that and to command it with such authority is something that only God can do. And this is a key point in our story. This is a key observation. But as we take a look at the themes in the rest of the Bible, I think there's more. That when Jesus commands the storms to stop, he reveals that he is God. But he also reveals why he came to earth in the form of a man. Because see, when we look at water in the Bible, we see two things primarily. One, we see that water purifies. Like that's pretty clear in the Bible. Even in Old Testament rituals, it's seen that, that water purifies. But we see something else when it comes to water. That water represents chaos and lifelessness. We can see this primarily in three different places. Take Genesis chapter 1 when God is creating the earth. What does it say before he does anything? It says the spirit was hovering over the face of the deep. The second thing that God created was a sky to separate the waters. See, what was there was literally just this chaotic, lifeless, dark, boundless mass of water and nothing else. Now, we know that God created the water, but the picture that the author gives us is that God's canvas is chaos and lifelessness. But after six days of speaking and working, what does he do? He creates a planet that's suitable for life. He gives air and the sky and land, and eventually there's human life produced out of it. But then we move on to the flood. Humanity has become sinful, and it's time for God to judge the world. And it's almost like just how the creation of the world started out with water. It's almost as if God is hitting the reset button and going, I'm going to send water again, and we are just starting all over. And through the flood, what do we see? We see chaos and death for all of the world. But he delivers the righteous one, Noah, and his family. And then finally, as he's delivering his people from Egypt, what do we see? He parts the Red Sea, and he brings his people through the chaos, through the water, and rescues them. And then when Pharaoh's army chases after them, he brings the waters back down on them and brings judgment on them and rescue for his people. And then even as we take a New Testament perspective, as we look at baptism, it represents death. When you go under the water, the old you has died. And when you come out, the new you is there in Christ. So now as we look back at this story with an understanding of, of, of this chaos and this lifelessness that we see throughout the Bible, we not only see that Jesus is declaring himself God, 
but he's declaring what he's come to do for us. That God became man to rescue us from the chaos and the death that is in this world through his mighty power. That Jesus stepped into this world to rescue us from something that we could not rescue ourselves. He came to bring us from death to life. He's saying, I am God and I'm going to do what I've always done, which is bring my people through the waters, rescue them, and bring them into brand new life. So what is the chaos? What's the brokenness? What's going on in your world today? For some of you, you've walked in and and you are a sinner. The ultimate source of all chaos and all brokenness and all death in this world is sin. And maybe you've walked in spiritually unsatisfied, full of guilt and shame. Maybe you're, you're, you're living in the consequences of your own sinful decision. You've come to the end of yourself. You're just tired of living this way and you're looking for something more. Or maybe you're the Christian today, but you recognize that there is still sinfulness and brokenness in you. That although Jesus comes to forgive you of your sins, there is still wreckage and sinful debris that he has to come clean up in your life. And you've realized, I want to be like Jesus, but oftentimes I'm full of pride and I think I know what's best and I'm tired of it. I want to be a servant like the Lord. But it seems like all I do is I make decisions with my family, with my kids, with my spouse, with my friends that only benefit me. Maybe you realize that you've been making idols out of everything else instead of worshiping God. That your success is found in your money and your successful business and your children and whatever else you're doing. And you've been worshiping everything else but God, but you're ready to move on. And maybe... Maybe you're just struggling with the chaos and the brokenness of this fallen world. That the doctor gave you the report and you do have cancer. You do have diabetes. You will need that surgery and you're going to have to deal with that. That the job you thought you would always have, you've been let go from, but you still got mouths to feed, a mortgage to pay. Seems like the world is crashing down around you. You didn't ask for it. You're going, what am I going to do? The reason that Jesus came to this world is to clean up your chaos and bring life where there is death. And the only solution to your problem is to lean on his grace and his power alone. That we can't trust in ourselves and our own works and in trying to clean up our own life. It's only found in Jesus. You trying to fix your own mess is like the disciples taking cups and trying to scoop out water from the boat. It's fruitless and pointless and won't work. The only way they're getting out of this situation is for Jesus Christ to be God and speak peace, be still. And so if you need forgiveness from your sins today, you don't have to become a good person. You don't have to give any money to the church. Rest on the power of Jesus Christ that died on a cross and three days later rose again so that you could have new life today. If you need sanctification, if you need spiritual growth, if you're ready to take that next step with Jesus, 
Man, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Go for it. Do your best. But at the end of the day, the only way you're going to grow in God is to grow in his grace. Not resting on your power and your effort, but the spirit who works mightily in you. Trusting God to form you and shape you in his image. And finally, man, whatever's going on in your life, trust that Jesus is Lord, that he's seated in power, that he is authority over all creation. And so it doesn't matter what the doctor says. He can speak peace, be still into your situation. It doesn't matter that you lost your job. He can provide one for you tomorrow. It doesn't matter what's going on in your world. As you rely on Jesus, he has come to clean up the chaos and the death and the brokenness that we all experience in this world if we would just lean and rest on his grace. But I think so often we, we struggle. We struggle to have faith in him. I mean, the disciples did. The storms raging around and they weren't calm and cool. They were freaking out, like having themselves a moment. Like they're going, this is it. I'm going to die. I'm going to drown. I don't really want to drown. This is insane. And then they go down and Jesus is just sleeping. And then now they're like, they're getting a little sassy with Jesus. Like, like they are getting a tood with the son of God. Like they get, they get down there and they're like, Jesus, what's wrong with you? Like they're just letting him have it. And so they're freaking out. And Jesus gets up and he, he calms the storm and then he looks at his disciples in verse 40 and he says this. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? He's looking at his disciples going after everything that you've seen. You've seen me raise the dead, heal the sick cast out demons. After all of this, how do you still have no faith? And yet the disciples' problem is that they did not see Jesus correctly because to them, Jesus was a fantastic teacher. I mean, amazing teacher. Jesus was a great prophet like Elijah. I mean, did miracles, did crazy stuff. But Jesus was not yet God. And it was their misconceptions and misunderstanding of who Jesus actually is in their life that they freaked out in the storm instead of having faith in who he is. I remember a few years ago, I think I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, whatever I was, I was at the age where my parents felt comfortable leaving me home alone for a few hours while they went out to do something. And I was cool. Like, it's not like I was a two-year-old and I was just going to, like, kill myself by not being watched 24-7. And then I was grown enough that I could read the instructions on the back of the Hot Pocket box, you know what I'm talking about? Like, I could have survived at least, like, a couple days off of frozen meals in that house. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm there alone, and, and it's in the evening, and so I'm just sitting up in my room, probably playing video games or something, and, and I hear the doorbell ring. Like, even now, I don't like hearing the doorbell ring. I'm like, who is it? Do I need to fight somebody? Like, what is going on? Used to you answer the door, now you're like, where is the gun? You know what I mean? Like, you don't know what's going on. But then, like, especially, I'm kind of freaking out. And so I was upstairs, and there's a window upstairs. And so I go, and I'm, I'm peeking out to try and see who's down there. So I was hoping maybe it was, like, the postal service or the UPS guy or somebody, you know, like, official. I mean, I'd even take a Jehovah's Witness. Like, somebody official, like, there for a reason. 
And I look out, and it's just some random car and some strange-looking man standing there at my front door. And I'm like, oh, boy. I don't know what this is. This is a little freaky. Let's just wait it out. He'll probably go away, and then we're good. And so I'm just waiting. And then I hear it again, ding dong, and I'm like, oh no, and I look out again, and he does not look like he is leaving. And immediately, I went from, hey, let's just wait it out, he's probably going to leave, to this man is a murderer, he's ringing the doorbell to see if anyone's home, he's going to break in, chop me to a thousand pieces, and I will never be seen again. Like, I am immediately like, this man is going to kill me. And I wait a little bit longer, another doorbell, and I thought, this is it. It's do or die. Like, I've lived a good life. It's been a good 10 years. And so I get my phone, and I call my parents, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a man at our door, and he's not leaving, and I don't know who he is, and I think he's going to hurt me. And then they don't know what's going on. They don't know who this man is. So they're like, all right, here's what you need to do. Stay on the phone and get in the closet. So then imagine, like, like 10-year-old old bowl cut Evan like opening the door like getting the clothes out of the way like and then I'm sitting on the floor with the phone like ugly girl crying going I don't want to die like freaking out and so I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and finally finally no more ringing nothing else no murder is up there I don't hear footsteps and so I come out and I and I look out the window and he's gone his car is gone and finally I feel safe again. Like I had no idea who this man was, so I just went into full-on freak-out mode. Well, it was either later that night or maybe the next day I found out who he was. He was just one of Jaron's friends coming to drop off something. (laughs) But I thought he was a murderer coming to kill me. See, I didn't know who he was, and so I just immediately went into this just crazy, chaotic, freak-out mode. And as the disciples are in the boat, they don't know who Jesus really is, so they stay in crazy, chaotic, freak-out mode. And I think some of the problems with our faith is we don't know who Jesus really is, so we stay full of fear and backing down to our situations because we don't have the correct view of Jesus. Now, the disciples, they, they didn't understand that Jesus was God, that he is God. That's what they needed to know. Now, we've got that revelation through Scripture. But I think what we miss oftentimes is we don't understand what it really means for God to be God. And so then we put all these stipulations and these misunderstandings of why he's not going to come through for us in our situations. Why he's he's not going to to show up when we need him. I think for some of us, we, we, we understand that God is real will even suggest that Jesus died and and he rose again. But we think that God now is a distant God. He's not a miracle-working God. He's kind of done his thing and pieced out for us. That living in America, we've accepted uh, a skepticism and a cynicism, and we no longer expect the supernatural. But I know this is so simple. But if God is God, if he is supernatural... Shouldn't we expect the supernatural? Can God not do what he wants to do? Why is it wild that he would raise his son up from the dead three days later, but he can't heal your sick body? Don't let the scientific fact-based culture of today take you away from trusting in a God who is very much real. Everywhere Jesus went, yeah, he was a man of the book. 
He opened up the Bible. He taught from the scriptures. He showed how he is the Messiah to come. But you know how else he revealed himself? The Bible says everywhere he went, he healed the sick, raised the dead, and cast out demons. God reveals himself through miracles and through the supernatural. But I think some of us, too, we we make exceptions. We don't believe God's going to show up in our situation because we don't feel like we're worthy. Our our church attendance has been spotty lately. I haven't picked up the Bible as much as I need to. Yeah, I've I've had some moments where I did not treat my spouse or my kids or my coworker like Christ would. I've kind of skipped, you know, I've kind of messed up a little bit. And I I just don't think I'm worthy enough for God to come help me and deliver me from this situation. But newsflash, who said that you have to be worthy for God to ever help you? In fact, you could never be worthy. You are a sinful creature. We all are. Pre-Jesus, we're all born in sin. We've all done wrong. We've all let him down. There's no way you could ever be good enough to merit God's favor in your life. But that's why he calls it grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor that he gives you gifts and he helps you out and he shows up in your situation, not because of anything you are, but because that's who he is. He's acting out of his own nature. Remember today, God is grace, and he acts out of who he is. Finally, I think we just make our situations complicated. We think that if we can't come up with a five-step plan, a solution to our problem, then there's no way God is. Sometimes we allow the, the, how complicated and how messy our problems are to go, I just don't think God could ever fix this. I don't ever think that he could do this for me, Right? Like sometimes it's easier to believe in supernatural healing because it's just like body sick, Jesus heal, body good. Like three very clear steps. But man, when it, when it comes to, to healing some emotions, some brokenness on the inside of you, sometimes there's, there's some things so complicated you can't even put it into words. When it comes to relationships, broken relationships with family members and with friends, Man, it, it, gets, it gets messy. It gets complicated. You're thinking, how are, we, how are we ever going to fix this? How could this ever come about? And we put God in a box that unless we can figure it out, he's not going to show up. And we miss out on two important aspects of God. One, that he's omniscient, which means that he's all-knowing. Jesus knows everything. He knows everything about your situation, every thought, everything you've done right and wrong, every feeling. Everything that's gone down, what they said, what you said, their motive, he knows it all. He knows everything. But here's the good news. He is not only all-knowing, he is all-wise. Jesus knows everything about your situation, and he knows exactly what to do about it. Don't put God in a box that says, if my situation is too complicated, I can't trust him to come through. Jesus knows everything. He knows exactly what to do, and he's got the power to do it. Put your faith in him. He's good today. See, a proper understanding of God gives us a proper faith. He is the God of the storm, and he wants you to have faith for the storm. He wants to build your faith for the storm. But not only does he want to build your faith for the storm, he wants to build your faith 
from the storm. He doesn't want to just get you ready for the battle. He wants to make you better after you've gone out of the battle. See, there's some things that, that, that can only really be learned and grasped by experience. See, the disciples, they did not understand that Jesus is God. And yet they had witnessed all these crazy things. They had seen him heal. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him cast out demons. They had heard his incredible authoritative teaching. The best sermons in the world. They had seen him do things for other people. But they had not collectively experienced it for themselves. They had heard him teach. They had been told things but not experienced it for themselves. So Jesus, being wise, says, let's go to the other side. You don't think he knew? Oh, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He knew that there was going to be a storm. He knew that he was going to take a sweet nap, and he knew that he was going to calm the storm. And what did this experience do for the disciples? Verse 41. And they feared exceedingly and said to one another who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him that after all that teaching all that witnessing all those miracles it hadn't clicked but when he did something supernatural for them their perspective and their faith shifted that maybe there is a purpose in the storm, that God wants to reveal something to you through experience in a way that you can't know in any way else. As a pastor, I have the opportunity to be able to visit our members when they go to the hospital. And I don't want to say her name because I didn't ask her to, to, to use her story in the sermon, but we have a lady in our church who's very old, and recently she was outside in her backyard, and after a series of events, she fell and she broke her hip, and she broke her elbow. And so I show up to the ER, and she starts telling me the situation. She's like, yeah, I'm just laying there, and I'm calling out, and cars are driving by, and nobody can hear me. And then finally, I just prayed to the Lord, and I said, Jesus, you're going to have to get me up and get me in the house so that I can call for help. And this 86-year-old woman gets up off the ground, walks into the house, and calls for help and makes it to the hospital. And as she's telling me this in the hospital, in the ER, the smile on her face, she's going, Evan, God has been so good to me. He's been so good to me. Her faith was built up. But then she kept talking to me. She's 86 years old. I believe she said she, she got saved in like her early 20s. It means she's been serving Jesus for 60-something years. And after a moment of just thinking, contemplation of the last 60-something years of serving Jesus. Once again, Evan, God has been so good to me. This is a woman who's been through some stuff, who's lived through some ups and through some downs, who stuck it out with Jesus for 60-something years, and she can lay in the ER and talk about the goodness of God. But not only that, I went to visit her about a week later in a, in a rehab facility. And so I was talking to her. I was like, hey, how did the surgery go? Surgery went great. Everything went smooth. And she said, well, the doctors told me that I'm going to have about six weeks and then I'm going to be uh, a full recovery. 
but I'm just believing in the Lord, how good he's been to me, it's probably going to be like half that. I said, I'm believing with you, sister. The Lord's been healing you and helping you. He's going to be right here. I'm believing it's going to be three weeks too. But you want to know how you're 86 years old, laying in the ER, shattered elbow and hip, and talking about the goodness of the Lord? It's because you've been through some stuff. It's because you've seen some things. It's not just because a preacher told you God was good. It's because God has been good to you. It's not just because the Bible told you God is faithful, but because he's been faithful to you. It's not just because the word says that he heals, but because he has healed you. The reason God has placed you in the battle is not to destroy your faith, but build your faith. He's getting ready for the next battle and the next battle and the next storm. Maybe he hasn't got you there because he's punishing you, but because he's building you and revealing who he is to you. There is something unique about the Christian experience when God shows up in your situation. And maybe you're asking why. Why am I going through this? Why did God allow this to happen? Why did I get this diagnosis? Why are my kids treating me this way? Why did I lose my job? Why am I struggling? Maybe it's just so that God can show up in your situation and make him more real than he's ever been before. You don't think the disciples, you don't think the apostle Peter, while he's hanging upside down on a cross, wasn't thinking about the moments that Jesus showed up? You don't think that fueled his faith? The reason that he lets you go through these storms is to build you up and reveal himself in a way like he never has before. So would you stand today? Would the band come out? And I want to ask that the prayer team would just come down front. And in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone to come down front. But here's what I want you to do. When you come down front, maybe you've got a storm in life right now. Maybe you've got some chaos, some craziness, and you don't know what to do. I want to encourage you, come down here and pray with a prayer team member, believing and trusting God that he's going to move in your situation. If you're struggling with faith, if your struggle is trusting God, come find a prayer team member. Pray to the Lord together. Lord, give me faith to trust you. And if none of that is you and you come down, I just, I just want to ask you, pray to yourself, Lord, build my faith, build my trust in you, reveal to me who you are, build me up so that when the battle comes, I'm prepared. And then once you're done praying, feel free to lift your hands up, lift holy hands and sing out to him. So would everyone just come today? Would everyone make your way to the altar? Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.